0: I thought this week about some things one day that I that I'd like to have. I don't know if you ever sit around and think about that. Sometimes I, I don't spend a lot of time doing it because, yeah, I just figure a lot of it's never going to happen. So what's the point? Wasting my time. But 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 I told Nancy, I told my wife, I said one of these days I'm going to live in Sarasota during the winter time. <laughs> I love Sarasota. I've been there one time, I loved it. Yeah, got league ballpark, the whole deal. Too. It's spring training. Wintertime, I'm going to Sarasota. It's pretty Siesta Key Beach, all that stuff. It's real nice. I'm going to Sarasota for the wintertime. And I'm going, I'm going to live in Cooperstown, New York during the summer. Some of you don't know what Cooperstown is. And God love you. Uh, <laughs> where the National Baseball Hall of Fame is. It's beautiful. I've been there, went there about 10 years ago. It's all the lake there there, the whole deal, and, and it's just baseball heaven. I mean, you know, where else would you want to be? You know, right. that, amen to that. So anyway, that's where I'm going. I'm going to, I, not like, you know, anytime soon probably, but that's where I'm going. I'm going to Sarasota in the winter, and I'm going to Cooperstown in the summer. That's, you know, that's where I'm going to where I'm gonna live. And I love Murray. i love Murray. Uh, but you know, it's it, it's either always really cold in the winter or always really hot in the summer. I'm going to kind of balance that out a little bit. I'm going to so, Sarasota like, Some of you laughing at. You're like, "Oh okay, yeah, you know, good luck." You know, I had a dream like that once too. I am Murray, Kentucky, still. You know, got, you know how it goes. You know, but but I got a plan. I have a specific plan to make all of this happen. It involves nothing about how I'm planning financially. That, that's that's not a, you know. Because if God's going to drop this in my lap. I'm convinced that this is going to happen. Absolutely. He's going to, because here's, here's my plan. Uh, if, if I figure this. I'm going to live right. I'm going to do what's right. The best I can. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to try to be a really good pastor for as long as I can. And then at the end of all that, I'm just going to wait for God all of a sudden to give me a home in Sarasota. And to give me one in Cooperstown, New York. Now, I mean, I've done the research. They're a little expensive in both places. But God's got the cattle on a thousand hills, the Bible says. And so, no big deal for him. I'm going to live right. And I'm going to do my best to be a really good pastor for as long as I can. And then I'm just going to wait on God to do this part. That's that's the deal. And after all... If I live right, then God is going to give me the desires of my heart, right? I mean, that's the Bible says. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. My, my desire, deep desire. Desire of the heart. Deep, serious desire. Sarasota in winner. Cooper's got son. Desires of my heart. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to delight myself in the Lord. And then He is going to delight me With these things, that's why I've got it all figured out. That's exactly you know. That's I'm going to do my part, and then pray. Lord, okay, now it's for you to do your part. Where's the stuff? Now you're laughing a little bit at my logic, um, but I do like to think that that if I'm a good person trying to be a good pastor, that everything's going to go the way that I want it to. But that's that's the way that I'm trying to look at this. Uh, Some of you are laughing, but but there are many of us here this morning who live by that logic who live by that kind of theology. There are lots of people in our world who live by that theology. By the way, that theology is totally dark. We live by it, It might not be for you a house in Sarasota for the winter and a house in Cooperstown, New York for the summer. It may be that you just kind of expect from God good health just to feel good. To have things kind of be okay with your health. For maybe a, a great family, Lord, I've been, been living for you a long time and just, well, I just if you would just take care of my family. Or maybe a feeling of victory, but you just never feel defeated by anything. You walk with God and you just, and everything's great. You don't feel defeated. Or maybe, maybe you're thinking, you know, there should be some doors opening soon for me that the Lord would lead me down this particular path that, that I know He wants me to go down. But there's there's just closed doors and I live right. Maybe those doors will open, or, or maybe for you it's just you know. just it's just like the old country song. Lord, I hope this day is good. I heard that on Willie Wonka the other day. seemed kind of appropriate for, for this morning. Lord, I hope this day is good. It's not too much trouble for you. Basically, the song says, "Lord, I, I just hope this day is good." Maybe you're just hoping and praying and wishing that today will just be a little better. than Yesterday, tomorrow will be a little better than today. Just each day is a little better than the one before it. Or maybe you say, you oh, know, if I walk with the Lord, I'm going to fulfill the destiny that I know I have. I know is mine as a child of God. Or maybe, just maybe, things would just finally go your way. And we don't like to admit that we live by the logic that says if I live right, then I not kind of expect things will go right. But listen to our prayers throughout the day. Now, I know you may not have prayed a prayer like this, but I wrote this down. Here's a kind of prayer i pray every once in a while. Lord, really? Really? Seriously? I'm going to do the best I can here. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I show up, do my job. For you you might say I listen to that dude preach for you know an hour every other week or something when I can get there and I show up and I I listen, I mean I give some money to the church and whatever. And I even shared that thing on Facebook the other day that he said if you're a true Christian, you'll share this. (laughs) Share that on Facebook. And I've been doing all the right things. Why does life, God, why does life have to be so hard? What's the deal? I and mean, haven't I heard a break? You know, just a little bit. I mean, why does everybody else, especially God, those people don't even care anything about you. Why do, why do their lives go so fast? Well? And here I am, I can't get a break. Now, I know you don't like the admit that you pray those kind of prayers, but you do, don't you? Because I just admit, I pray those prayers every once in a while. Seriously. I mean, I'm doing my part here. Can you not, you know, really? You kind of stop short of it though, don't you? Because you ain't quite sure you're supposed to talk to God like that. You know what I'm saying? Well, you know... But God really helped me. Okay, amen. You know what? If I live right, things should go right. You're not alone if you live according to that kind of retribution type principle. That karma-like way of living. That if I do the right things, good things will happen to me. And if I do the wrong things, bad things will happen. So, therefore, if good things are happening, what? I must be doing something right. Another country song, right? I don't know what I did, Lord, you know, deserve this woman, but I must have done something right. You heard that song? Anyway. I don't like any other kind of music, but I'll be honest with you. It's Willie 102. Anyway. Some of you think I'm unguided now, but that's fine. Um, Relax. I know it's tight and it's hot. I mean, it's, At least I'm hot up here. Just relax. Be free. Um, but, you know, that's, that's the way I look at it. Man, if I do right, things will go right. And if things are going right, then I must be doing something right. If I don't do right, then things won't go right. And so if things are going wrong, then I must have done something wrong. And so what do we do? We try to figure out, right? What did I do wrong? I did do right. What did I do wrong? I will out do And so as a result, then I'm doing all the right things, so poof, everything should go right. I really believe, I am convinced that the majority of people, at least in the Western world, in the first world kind of experience, I am convinced that the overwhelming majority of people live by that kind of mindset. And unfortunately, I'm also convinced that the overwhelming majority of, of confessing Christians, live by that same mindset. If I do right, things will go right. So if things are going right, I must have done something right. If I don't do right, things won't go right, so if things are going wrong, I must have done something wrong and need to fix it. We live by that kind of thing. We're in a series, and this is just the second message in the series, so if you missed the first one, you can go back and listen to it on the podcast at some point. We're in a series about a guy named Job in the Bible. You know where his story is. You can go and find it. You can kind of flip there if you want to. We're in his first chapter of Job right now. Job uh, highlights for us a question that that really uh, kind of gives us the theme. You know, what do I do when life doesn't make sense? When when, when things don't go the way that I want them to? When I, when all that I experience is pain and and suffering? When bad things happen to good people, when I don't know what to do, when God seems silent or He seems distant or He seems non-existent, when I live right and I seem to be punished for that, what do I do when life doesn't make sense? And each week we're asking a particular question that comes from the life and the story found in the book of Job. And today's question is, what happens if I live right? We looked last time at Job and the life that he was living. Uh, and, and if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, if you got your Bible we'll open, Job chapter 1, verse 1, he goes, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms. So if you get Psalms, turn back to the left just a little bit, but we're moving from Job. Job chapter 1, verse 1, describes for us that Job was a man, says, of perfect integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. That's the kind of guy he was. And it wasn't just the narrator writing this about Job. That's what God later confirmed about him. That Job was blameless, and he's different from everybody else. He is that kind of guy. Very, very legitimate. And in verses two through five, we're going to see. Here's an idea of what we can expect life will be for a guy who God is really, really pleased with. Look at verse two. He had seven sons and three daughters. His estate included seven thousand sheep. 3,000 camels, 5,000 yoga boxes, 5, 500, 500 yoga oxen, 500 female monkeys, and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to have banquets, each at his house in turn. They would send invitations to their three sisters to eat and drink with him. I stop there for just a second. Get an idea. Everything about Job, as we see in these verses, is absolutely ideal. He's the ideal kind of man. His character is perfect does everything that God wants him to do. Is he, is he you know, sinless? No, that's not the point. But he's a man of integrity. And when he sins, he repents it, And he turns from that, and he, and he follows God. And then we see about his, his cattle, you know, the stuff that he has. And, and we're, we're given an idea here of his numbers and so on. They're, they're numbers of completion. Now, did he have exactly those numbers? Well, we're not sure exactly. But the round numbers suggest that he had the perfect set of possessions. Everything's perfect. And then his kids, he had seven sons. The number seven, of course, is very significant in the Bible. It's a number of completion and perfection. And then he had three daughters. What would a man with a perfect set of seven sons need? Well, three dollars. Throw that in there as well. Three, of course, another significant number in the Bible. Of course three representing the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You put those together, seven plus three, and you get ten, which is the absolute number of completion. Totally involved. It's incredible. This guy has everything going for him. His character is good. they got the right number of, of animals and cattle and so on and so forth. His kids are the right number and they get along it seems. I mean, how about ten kids and they all get along? Man, i mean, I've got one kid. He can't get along himself, you know. So that's ten of them, you know. Ten kids, they all get along. They all want to be together. They fight each other over their houses and, boy, they just take turns and whatever. Everything is perfect about Job. There there is, however, just a little hint. Look at verse 5. Whenever a round of banqueting was over, Job would send for his children and purify them. Rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for all of them. For Job thought, perhaps my children have sinned having cursed God in their hearts. And this was Job's regular practice. Just a little hint that maybe he's not counting on all that stuff. But, verses 2 through 4, and then again if you read the end of the book, the book of Job, you get the idea, really, that you right. Things go right. Job's got all this stuff, all these kids, man, everything's going his way. Because why? Because he's a man of perfect integrity who feared God and shut evil, right? To pursue equals four. You can kind of pick that up in the book of Job. But... For those thinking, well, won't well, God bless me if I live right and won't, well, you know, what He do for me, what He did for Job. Let me give you a few things this morning. I'm to roll through these pretty quickly. Let me give you a few things to consider, a few things to think about, a few things to remember when you begin to fall into the mindset that says 2 plus 2 always equals 4. If I do right, I get right. Let's look at it. First, God's revelation is progressive. Write that word down, Progressive. The word "progressive" there means it, it, it's not totally done in the Old Testament. It's continuing on. God is continuing to reveal things throughout the Scripture. It's going somewhere. So when we pick up the Book of Job, when we pick up the Old Testament, God wasn't done revealing His Word to us. He wasn't done speaking about Himself yet. We have some things in the Old Testament that absolutely uh, we see in the New Testament confirmed and so on. But really, the Old Testament is a Part of God's continuing revelation. So if all you do is read Job 1, 2, Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, you are going to think that if I do right, things will go right. Right here, this dude was perfect. If I can live up to that, then everything's going to go right. If all you do is just read that one little segment, you'll miss the entire point. God's revelation is progressive wasn't totally complete in the book of Job. wasn't totally complete in the Old Testament. God hadn't said everything He was going to say. Now, during this time, the, the time of the story of Job, we know that God was revealing that, that He does bless His people. And, and He chose, in the best way His infinite wisdom, He chose during that time to reveal that most through material possession for a lot of people. That's the way that God chose it back during that time. But... That was simply a preview of the ultimate and infinite and often intangible blessing that comes from Jesus Christ. Do you understand how it's a preview? We get all this stuff about Job. His life is complete. And he, he's got the right character and all the, the, the right number of cattle and so on. His kids are great. And everything is, is perfect. We, we see God blessing him in that way. But it's simply a preview of what God was going to do later on. So when you see something like this in the Old Testament, you have to filter it through all 66 six books have to filter it through the New Testament. Job was convinced that this idea of retribution, do right or get right, God was going to teach him and us something a little different. So the, the revelation of God is progressive. When you read the Old Testament understand, it's continuing to go so it's not complete until the end of the book of Revelation. Then, then God's revelation, his revealed word, is complete had we have it all. So now we, we have more perspective. Secondly, the prosperity gospel is deceptive. It's deceptive. I looked up the prosperity gospel preacher I like to pick on most. I looked him up this week. I just searched for his quotes. And here were the repeating words. Okay? Attitude. Have the right attitude things go your way. Opportunity. Have the right attitude opportunity presents itself. Destiny. You're here for purpose. Fulfill your destiny that God has given you. Claim it, take hold of it. Blessed. Well, too blessed to be stressed, right? That's garbage too. Isn't it? Because you're just stressed all the time. You're through your teeth. too blessed to be. <laughs> Abundance. God wants to sh- to shower you is His abundant blessing. You, that stuff I preach now. That is really well. I mean, if I ever need some money, I'm gonna start preaching that stuff. I'm going on TV. We're taking on tour. Y'all can all just come with me. We'll just travel all around. We're going to Sarasota first in the wintertime. <laughs> We're going up to Cooperstown in the summer. We're going to take that message on the road. Abundance. Another word that kept repeating in this guy's quotes was the word you. Now I'll just tell you if you hear a lot of preachers talking about you and how you need to do this and you can take this and claim this and so on, and probably he's got a you-centered gospel instead of a cross and Jesus-centered gospel, you probably ought to run the other way. Another word was purpose. You're here for a purpose. Find your purpose. somebody you have been searching for a purpose for 75 years, ain't you? Hard finding. Oh, Why in the world am I here? I have no idea. I'm looking for you. This kind of preaching will tell you if you haven't found a purpose, we just keep looking for it, and then eventually if you haven't found something Something's wrong with you. Another set of words here: influence, dreams, potential, open doors, rise up, and investment the best one is faith. You just have enough faith. You just claim promises of God. Those are some of the key words in the prosperity gospel that they'll be teaching you, telling you about. And it's real popular, by the way. I mean, who doesn't want to be told they got attention? i like to be told I got attention. Hopefully I'm, I'm not wasting it all in. Who doesn't want to be told that, you know what, you've got a purpose in life? God wants to bless you abundantly. I like sound. But it's deceptive. Why is that kind of preaching deceptive? It's deceptive because it's got an Old Testament focus. We take verses, as I just said, we take them out of context and we go to Job and we say, well, Job was blessed. And, and basically, the sermon, the sermon would stop. The sermon would stop at verse 5, Job. The whole series would stop right there. We wouldn't talk about anything else. We just talk about how blessed Job was and he lived there. It also has a very temporal, like a now type focus. This kind of preaching does. As if, as if, truly, to use the title of the book, your best life now can happen right now. Somebody's still trying to figure out what I'm talking about. I'm just, we'll figure it out. We'll do some more. As if your best life now can happen right now. You realize that Jesus has told us the best is yet to come, and we won't experience it on this side of heaven. Get that? If I stand up here and I tell you, look, the best, the best life that you'll ever have is just right now. What am i am not talking? I ain't not read the New Testament. Talk. Anyway. In, in this kind of preaching, there's no Jesus focus. It's God, but no Jesus. Why? Because we don't want the cross involved. Why? Because the cross, follow me here, shoots holes. In fact, it just blows into smithereens. The whole idea that if I live right, things will go my way. Guess who lived right? Jesus. Guess what happened to him? The crucified. Oh, he enjoyed that. What? No. He prayed in the garden, Lord, if it's possible, please let this pass. He knew what he was about to endure physically, emotionally, and certainly spiritually, separation from God and Father. He knew all those things. Jesus, the cross shoots holes in the fact that if you believe well, if I just do right, things will go right. We know also this kind of preaching, this prosperity gospel, that if you just do right, things will go right. We you know it's not based in reality. You probably did right this week in a lot of ways. And guess what? It's been going wrong, didn't it? Not based in reality. And not only that, but it blames people for their poverty and for their suffering. It blames them. Jesus said, you always have the poor with you." Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble. You know what he's talking to? People who follow him. He didn't tell them that, you know, if it, I mean... You know, if you're poor, it's because you've made some really dumb financial decisions and you just made your bed in lion. Try to find out what Jesus said. He didn't say that. Jesus didn't say that, you know, hey, you know what, if, if, you, if you do right, if you live for me, then everybody's just going to be cool with you. What did He tell His disciples? Blessed are you when they persecute you and hate you and say all kinds of things about you because of me. And so in this kind of prosperity gospel, people are blamed for the poverty and say, you just do this, things will go okay. You just have faith here, just believe things will be fine. You just live right. If you just confess your sins, and we all know that you've sinned right? and created these problems. Yeah. Third, I think that horse is dead. Third, <coughs> stop beating on it. Third, if you ignore God in the good times, you will curse him in the bad. Job is a great example of someone who when things turn south, and they will next week, is so you do. Know. When things turn south for him, he never curses God. Satan goes before God and he says, look, you just take all this junk away from him, he'll curse you. Job never did it. You know why? Because he never ignored God in the good times. When Job is described as a man of perfect integrity, one who feared the Lord and shunned the evil, that's in the good times. That's while he's experiencing all this material benefit. He's trusting the Lord. He's never ignoring God. He's never falsely believing that, well, I did all this. Look at what I have. He, he's never got a false sense of security that, well, I'm finally happy now that I have all these things. He never has a false sense of hope that, well, look at what I have. That I must mean I am just really something special. And so he never cursed God. He never made the false assumption, well, you know, I lived right, God you know, blah, 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 and so on and so forth. Those get a lot of questions, but he never curse God. He didn't ignore God in the good times, so he wasn't prone to cursing him in the bad. Let me just warn you, I guess. If things are going well, be a person of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from that way, when things don't go so well, you can be a person of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from you. Fourthly, you can have it all, and still have nothing. I mean, what possibly could the man of verses 1 through 4 have to worry about? Dude's got everything. He's got it all. And yet, verse 5, he thought perhaps my children are sin. <clears throat> he still had anxiety about his kids. Not that they would waste his money or their inheritance. Not not that they wouldn't get along. His concern was that they would forget and curse God in their hearts as they enjoyed all this material benefit that Job was giving. Job knew knew. I really believe this. He knew they had all that stuff. He had all that stuff, and yet still not have what was most important. What he wanted most was for his kids to follow God. Fifthly, God's blessing isn't always, and maybe it not often, material. The truth is, if you you read the whole Bible, and I encourage you to go take a look uh, around Romans 6. You'll see some key words new life and different things like that, forgiveness and justification and reconciliation with God and righteousness and so on. Those are not things that you really put your fingers on, but those are the ultimate blessings of God. That's the treasure in heaven. Those are the things that can't be bought and sold and lost and diminished and altered and stolen. God's blessing, understand this. God's blessing is not always, maybe not even often, Material. Jesus, it said in the Bible, he himself in no place to lay his head. And yet nobody pleased God the Father like God the Son. Six, let me encourage you parents, grandparents, teachers, whomever, give your kids more than stuff. We give our kids a lot of things. Our kids like to play one against the other. I don't know if your kids have ever done this to you if you've got them. But our kids know that there are certain things that Dad will get them, that Mom's not. And certain things that Mom will get them, that Dad's not. And then there's Pawpaw, because <laughs> my Dad gets me. We get we give kids a lot of stuff. stuff. I mean, if you're a grandparent, you love giving your grandkids stuff. If you're a teacher, you got the little treasure box at school and whatever. And you know, I mean, just you know, we like giving kids stuff, don't we? It Makes them happy, right? Makes them smile. Not saying there's anything wrong with giving your kids stuff. Give them more than stuff. What do our kids really, really, really need? Now, I just speak in terms of parents here, but you can make the transition. You understand? Kids really need parents who love Jesus. Any parents, I mean, and I don't mean just like, yeah, you know, I'm a believer and blah, blah. Any parents who love Jesus, any parents who talk about Jesus between Sundays, any parents who walk with Jesus every day, any parents who know the Bible, know it, well, I don't understand that. That's fun Try. Read it. Ask questions. Figure it out. They need parents also who, based upon the authority of God that He's given them, parents who tell their kids no. I could do another dead horse here for a long time, I going to tell you. <laughs> they need parents who tell their kids no. You realize it's not a sin to tell your kids no? It's not. It's not a sin. You realize it's a sin not to tell them no? Mm. Anyway. <laughs> they need parents who, like Job, will go to God on their behalf. That's what Job is doing. He's praying for his kids, essentially. They need parents. And listen, I, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir right here this morning. Okay? i just tell you that on this one. They need parents who will go with their kids to church. I don't drop them off, but go with them. And so I am, I commend you. If you're a parent, and you brought your kids with you today, and you say, you know what? I, or maybe you've raised your kids, but, but you didn't just send them to church. You went with them. That's what they need. I think they also need parents who will say, I'm sorry. And we'll repent. I'm going to tell you, that's one of the hardest things a parent do. That's what I've been. I've been a parent real long. But long enough to know that's pretty hard to do is to say, you know what, I've messed up. And I was wrong. And I'm sorry. And I repent. And I'm asking God to help me not do that. Anymore. Give your kids more than stuff. And finally, wealth is not inherently evil, but it can be a hindrance to faith. In fact, some of the people in the Bible that God holds up as great heroes of our faith, essentially, were very, very, very wealthy. Nothing inherently wrong with having wealth. Jesus didn't say that money is evil. What he say? The love of, of money. That's the problem. That's the issue. This is not inherently evil. The Bible never condemns people just for being wealthy. But it can be a hindrance to faith. Let me give you just some, a few scriptures to, to check out I'll, I'll on your own time. I'm not going to take time to read all of them this morning. <laughs> Psalm chapter 49. The whole thing. Psalm 49. Proverbs 11.4. Let me read this one you. Wealth is not profitable on a day of wrath, but righteousness rescues from death. Basically, it, it's a preview to say, you know, one day when you stand before the Lord... You can have all the money in the world and there won't be anything you want. Nothing. Proverbs chapter 23, verses 4 and 5. Don't wear yourself out to get rich. As soon as your eyes fly to it, it disappears. And you know, if you got kids, you know about that. That's the truth. They remember that. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. The writer here is asking... Lord, please don't give me too much. Don't give me too little. Don't give me too much so that I forget you. Peace. pieces. Matthew chapter 13, verse 22, Jesus giving a parable. He talks about how the seduction of wealth, he says, can choke out the Word of God. And then Mark chapter 10, story of the guy that we know in the Bible is the rich, young ruler. Anybody know his story? He goes to Jesus. He's done all these great things. I've lived right. I've done everything right. What do I need to do to gain eternal life. And Jesus looks at him and He says, I want you to go and sell everything you have and come follow Me. The guy walks away It says, stunned and dejected because he had so much. He was a guy that Jesus would then generalize about. And he told His disciples how difficult it is for someone with wealth to enter the Kingdom of Heaven. It can be something we count on. And then, and then also First Timothy chapter 6. Timothy is told by Paul here: instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God. So, what's the thing? Right? What's I mean? What am I, what am I saying? You may say, "Well, okay, now are you saying that I can't count any blessings from God if I live right? Or maybe or, you know, are you saying?" Uh, I should count on having happened to me what happened to Job. If I live right up i heard a little bit about his story, I don't know if I want that. That's really not my point. Ultimately, I think Job was ahead of his time as far as biblical revelation goes. I, I think he serves to give us a warning just like he showed to those kids through those, those sacrifices I think think Job's anxiety about his kids, along with his insistence that he would live with devotion and holiness before the Lord, even in spite of his wealth, in the midst of his wealth, I think all of that gives us really a scriptural preview of what Jesus would say centuries later. And that's really the thing that I hope you'll take away and have in mind. As we follow Job's example, as we hear this echo throughout Scripture, Jesus would say it emphatically, don't gain the whole world and lose your soul. The Apostle John was right about what this world kind of thing is, the love for the world. He would say it's, it's setting your sights on what you want to have, how you want to feel, and who you want to be. You know, you can gain all that stuff. I can have a house in Sarasota I, I could have, I could have a house in Cooperstown, New York. <clears throat> That—that's a priority, actually, Cooperstown, Cooperstown. I live in Murray. It's Cooperstown, and then Sarasota. And so I can have all that. Do you understand? And yet, it's along the way, in order to get those things that this world has to offer me if I sacrifice my faith in Jesus, if I ignore God completely, if I never put my trust in Jesus Christ, then I have gained essentially the whole world that I've wanted. And one day when I stand before the Lord, I will be forfeiting my soul. And there are millions, billions of people in our world who are doing just that. And unfortunately, lots of us in church i give you a little prayer each week, just kind of something you can keep in mind. Last time it was, Lord, in this moment, show me what it means to trust you. Today you'll see it down there. Lord, give me the blessings that I can never lose. You can never lose the blessing, the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. He died, the Bible says, once for all. And those who believe in him for their salvation will receive the forgiveness of God. You can never lose that blessing. Once you've received it by faith, you can never, never lose it. Lord, this week, open my eyes, show me, bring to me, help me see the blessings that I can never lose. think that your prayer this week.